0: Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest review episode of Recasted 2.0. Today, we're going to be tackling the heart-wrenching drama Philadelphia. I'm Wayne G., joined as always by Jesse. What's up? Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back. I did that a little bit out of order. Usually, I introduce you, then we talk about
1: it. Yeah, we're going to put me last. You know, saving the best for last, Wayne.
0: So, obviously, this is a very serious movie, and we do want to get into all of these topics. But the first things first please make sure you are following us on social media. That would be at Recasted Podcast on Facebook or our free-to-anybody public group All Things Movies. Also, at Recasted Podcast on Twitter and at Recasted Podcast 8 on Instagram, at Recasted Podcast on TikTok, and pretty soon you can visit our website, RecastedPodcast.com. We've actually had it for a while, but I just started kind of tinkering with it.
1: It's coming back from the dead.
0: It is, and it's going to be magnificent. I
1: can't wait. neither can the fans.
0: Now, I did want to mention that we have done a bonus episode since our last recasting. I started doing a top 25 because people are always asking me what my top 25 movies are. And it got really out of hand. And I now have a top 150. So periodically, I'll be releasing a bonus episode from 150 to 126 and so on, working our way back up to number one. And then I may even record that one through 25 because it came out a little messy.
1: Yeah, that definitely sounds amazing to hear, you know, your top 150. I mean, that's really a, a deep dive into Wayne's cinematic mind. So I can't wait to hear that myself and for our fans to really get to know, you know, your, your dislikes and your likes in terms of movies.
0: Spoiler alert, The Godfather did not make the top 150.
1: Oh, the second one probably did,
0: though. <laughs> I don't think any of them ever will. Even though Stephen Doyle had reached out and asked if we wanted to recast The Godfather with him, he said, however, we would have to watch it all over again.
1: Yeah, something about Steve, man. He likes torture, huh?
0: He really does. It, it's it's brutal. He thinks I would like it if I watched it more. And I'm like, no, it, it gets worse every time I watch it.
1: Ask him if he wants to watch paint dry with
0: us. <laughs> it would be more riveting to review. So as I mentioned, this is a drama we're going to cover philadelphia which was i believe a 1993 movie this was tom hanks first academy award or second i know he got back to back Forrest gum and philadelphia i think this was the first of the two
1: yes sir it was
0: okay fantastic and so we're going to talk about this movie obviously we're going to recast it a little bit later but for today's episode we're just going to be talking about the movie and the first thing i always ask you is just generally what did you think about this movie
1: I definitely loved the performances of both of those leading men. I thought they really did an awesome job. They carried that film through such a difficult topic. The subject matter that they covered in that time, I mean, thinking early 90s, it was still, so, I mean, that's 30 years ago. It was still such a different topic for the world and for really Hollywood to discuss, even with it being a true story. I think it was a very difficult watch for you and I, Wayne, It's probably, you know, the, the toughest drama or really, you know, the... The most dramatic story we've had to, to watch since Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. So, yeah, this one was definitely a tough watch. And I think the two leading men did an amazing job.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Really tough watch. And even Dead Poet Society had lighthearted moments, whether it was moments of heart between Robin Williams and his students, some moments of humor. This didn't have any of that. This was straight up serious and heartbreaking. There was really nothing entertaining or fun about it, even though it was excellent and I had mentioned to you in our chat that I've always felt like Denzel Washington actually outperformed Tom Hanks in this film.
1: I agree, yeah, I mean, he he really blew me away in all those court scenes, and I just think it was it was so tough to watch. I mean, for a movie that I'd say I recommend a lot of people to watch, it was admittedly uncomfortable at times.
0: And it's one of those movies that would not make my top 150 only because of the rewatchability. The only reason I rewatched this film is because we're recasting it. But it's not a fun movie to sit down and watch every now and then.
1: Yeah. And and with our recasting, what's so unique, Wayne, is, you know, we do bring in, you know, new faces, you know, actors and actresses, you know, new stars to the game. But just the knowledge in terms of what the subject matter of this movie was from then and now is just incredible. I mean, it's gone leaps and bounds watching that movie where people are just so uncomfortable that they don't want to be near someone. They don't want to look at someone or I mean, ultimately they don't want to work with someone that has contracted it. And, and here we are these days where it's definitely not seen that same way at all. And so it's, it's a crazy contrast to see how it was treated then and how Hollywood had to kind of deliver it.
0: I was going to touch on that even during the the review here, because when magic Johnson came out and said he had AIDS, this was 1993-ish. It was right around the time this film came out. And at that time, it was a death sentence. Like, if you got AIDS, you died, period.
1: But Yeah, I mean, this, mo- this movie couldn't have came out too long after Freddie Mercury from Queen. And, you know, we saw him kind of slowly wither away. And, I mean, I think of the 80s and 90s, it was known as a killer.
0: Yeah, and then all of a sudden, I guess two, three, four years ago, whatever it was, they said that Magic Johnson, the HIV virus, wasn't even detectable in his blood anymore. He still may be carrying it, but just the the science that we've come to where now it's no longer a death sentence. I wish we could do the same thing with cancer, to be honest.
1: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, people, I think, because we are so, uh, in, in a way, addicted to our phones that we can, like, tangibly see the technological advances in phones. But just the advances in understanding and knowledge and technology – and and medication that we've seen with you know the hiv virus and aids it's come so far because that's one of the more uncomfortable things about watching that movie and why there isn't a lot of rewatchability is because it's it's difficult to see how people treated each other and saw it and you know seeing it with my mom as i do a lot of these movies wayne she's looking at me going jesse it was it was like that people really treated each other like that they really looked at you like that
0: Yeah, it was bananas and even to the point I remember watching a documentary about it and they talked about how people thought maybe you could get it through kissing. And then this disgusting statistic came out saying that you would have to drink like a liter of uh, saliva to get it. And I was like, I didn't want to pick this disgusting.
1: I mean, you know, there there are people who think that just being in the same vicinity, sharing the same washroom or, you know, maybe going to a, a sauna with a person could make it so that you contradict it. So it's definitely difficult. I'm glad that I did watch it because, it, like a lot of these so far, Wayne, the movies I've never seen before, and both of these actors are ones that I've grown up with and seen them develop tremendously. And I think it was rewarding to see some of their earlier works and see some some real powerful
0: performances. And before we get into the nitty-gritty, as they say, why don't we give it a score here? What would you give this on a scale of 1 to 5?
1: I'm going to go ahead and say uh, this is a 3.7.
0: Okay, I'm gonna give this one a 4.25. And only because I think it's brilliantly written. It's brilliantly acted and directed. It's a fantastic film. I just wouldn't keep rewatching it. This is probably gonna be the last time I watch it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely don't think that it's something that I could find myself being like, Hey, guys, you want to watch this? It was really something that was necessary for this assignment. um, And for our our podcast. But beyond that, it's not one that I'm going to be recommending
0: to a single soul. Now, the movie itself, it opens up with the Bruce Springsteen song, Streets of Philadelphia.
1: I will the
2: avenue my legs fell like stone. Voices of friends vanished and gone.
1: Tonight I hear the blood in my veins.
2: Just is
1: black and whispering as a rain.
0: I'm curious what you think about the song, because it actually won an Academy Award and a Grammy.
1: Was it that song that won it? I thought it was the other Philadelphia song towards the end there, after the culmination of the film. I don't want to kind of get ahead of ourselves, but there was a song playing at the end there that I'm pretty sure that one was the one that won the award.
0: No, that was the, the Neil Young Philadelphia song. The Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen is the one that won the Academy Award uh, in 1993. It beat out Again by Janet Jackson from Poetic Justice, and it won the Grammy for Best Rock Song, beating out All Apologies, Black Hole Sun, I'm the Only One and Come to My Window.
1: Wow. What, what a list of songs that I definitely hear as I'm walking the grocery store. But I, The songs, I think, were definitely fitting, but I don't want to say that they were anything that i really walked away from remembering i wasn't like "Ooh, do you remember the soundtrack of this movie um i think that you know uh, the one that hits most to me was was the last one so um maybe the first one didn't you know ring as true to me um i think the songs were fitting they didn't really seem um, like they were out of place but you know to me the acting performances stood up more than uh, maybe a certain song
0: well speaking of the acting performances it opens up right away with andrew beckett versus joe miller and they're discussing the innocuous powder that is all over the street
1: and the results limestone it's messy but innocuous
2: innocuous defined by webster's as harmless i know what it means may i thank you your honor imagine how the children in this neighborhood are being made to feel the constant pounding of of construction ringing in their ears as this skyscraper, a tribute to mankind's greed, grows daily, casting an ominous shadow over their lives, filling them with dread, even as they are surrounded by this toxic dust.
1: Yeah, it was uh, kind of a curveball. You know, after watching the trailer, I thought that their first meeting was going to be when you know one needs the other, and seeing them actually kind of be somewhat rivals. Um, it, it was nice to kind of see them go toe for toe, tip you know, tip for tap in that courtroom setting. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great introduction.
0: And then later on in the elevator, Andy makes a joke pointing to the guy and like that's all wrapped up in bandages. And he goes, is this a client of yours?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's type the type of clientele that Denzel, you know, his character, you know, would prey on is, you know, those people that were injured and, you know, needed help right away. You know, they call them ambulance chasers denzel's character definitely portrayed that you know he had the same joke throughout the entire film
0: and then we get andy giving blood or getting some blood work done he's looking around the room at all these people who are really sick so at this point they still haven't really discussed what's going on with andy we just know that you know he could be donating blood but the doctor comes over to say she wants to talk about his blood results
1: yeah they really creep up into it
0: then we get andy gets to his office he calls his mom and she's upset just you know thinking about him worried about him right he says his t cells are up everything's looking good and she starts to cry a little bit he's like how's dad
1: yeah what about your your platelets your red blood cells
0: and then later that night andy's called to meet with the partners and he's given a big case involving copyright law and he's promoted to senior associate so obviously he's a big up and comer in that company
1: yeah you can definitely see he's he's the you know the young superstar you know that rising prospect and uh, the apple of you know the senior partner's eye
0: I was just going to say that like the relationship between him and Charles and Charles Wheeler is the the head senior guy and you can tell that there's definitely a a mutual respect and Andy really really looks up to him and Charles really appreciates Andy
1: Yeah I think there was definitely you know a mutual admiration for each other they respected how great they they did their work for each other it was great to kind of see that respect for each other early on in the film, because I think that really helps you understand, you know, the hurt that we see.
0: And also at this meeting, Walter Kenton, who's one of the people that we're going to recast, he notices a lesion on Andy's head. Andy tells him that it's just a bruise from a racquetball, which I'll be honest with you, it's believable because it's just this little tiny dot pretty much.
1: Yeah. Have you ever played racquetball, Wayne? I've
0: never played racquetball.
1: Yeah, I don't think either one of them. I think, you know, once you get your ARP card, they also send you like a... Uh, you know, two tickets to the nearest racquetball court. Racquetball and pickleball are those things that I can't say that I've played.
0: Uh, well, I'm I'm a golfer for life. So no matter how old I get, that's going to be my sport.
1: <laughs> I believe it.
0: And then we get like a nine days later. Andy's at home. He's typing up this brief for the case, and he prints it at work and leaves it on his desk. And then lights up a cigar. He's like, "Yeah, job well done."
1: Yeah, I mean, you can see the guy's putting in the work. You know, he's staying up late, and uh, he's doing everything that you know, the best lawyer in the game would be doing.
0: And we see his friend at the apartment, he's putting makeup on him. It's a very, very orange or bronze tint to try to cover up the lesions.
1: Yeah, it it was very reminiscent of, uh, you know, a certain someone that I think uh, has been pretty prominent here in America the last four to six years, that type of bronze Dorito look. And uh, even he noticed that that it was probably going to be a bit noticeable for what he was trying to uh, hide or cover up.
0: Yeah, he was saying, I just took time off from work telling him I was sick, I'm gonna come back looking like I was visiting Bermuda.
1: Yeah, which I think is a tough sell.
0: He gets sick, he runs to the bathroom, he's throwing up, and then we get to see Miguel played by Antonio Banderas. He's running down the street to the hospital to just find Andy.
1: Yeah, I mean and uh you know, he's a good looking fella.
0: And he gets there and they're saying that they have to give Andy a colonoscopy because they want to kind of check a couple of other things that might be going on and causing the diarrhea. And Andy's like, that sounds pleasant, but sarcastically. And Miguel's like, you know, why do you have to do this? And the guy's like, you know, you're not immediate family. I can have you removed.
1: Hey, no, no, but, yeah, but it could be parasites, and infection. I mean,
2: reaction to
1: the ACT. All these are possibilities, but we've got to go forward. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. He's not going through some painful procedure until we cancel out everything else. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm trying to help your partner here, OK? OK. Now, you're not a member of his immediate family. I'm not- I could have you removed from the ER. Really? Look, look, look. He's he's upset. He's sorry. No, don't apologize for me, okay? Okay, he's he's not sorry. Let's do this. Let's find out what the blood work tells us. I will try to give you a specimen, some hospital food, may help me along, and then we might hear from Dr. Gilman and we can start from there, okay? Everybody happy? All right? Okay. <laughs> All right? Yeah, you can definitely see that. Antonio Banderas's character is getting defensive. Uh, he's getting protective, um, and he's trying to do the communicating and the fighting uh, that Andy, you know, can't at this point. You can see Andy's taking the doctor's and medical request on the chin. Like you said, he's kind of being sarcastic about it, but he's he's being as understanding as he can. Antonio Banderas's character is really having a difficult time with it, I and mean, he doesn't want to see you know his friend, his partner, his lover. Uh, go through any more pain. And so it was difficult to see the doctor not have any understanding. But again, that's the early 90s. And you could kind of see that, you know, he, he, he wasn't going to uh, really bend or, or waver to uh, appease who he had in front of him.
0: And Andy keeps getting beeped from the office. So he's like, I gotta go call the office. And when he goes to the payphone, we see uh, Joe on a TV commercial, which Andy kind of chuckles at. And that's going to kind of come up later in the film. He's called the TV guy a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, we definitely see them both kind of you know reference each other. They know of each other for sure.
0: And Andy gets the call from the office, like I have here. He finds out the brief that he put on his desk it's missing, and Jamie can't find it anywhere. And you know, Andy's like, "All right, I, I'll come into the office because I, this is obviously a really big brief, and they have like something like forty five minutes or two hours to get it to the court."
1: Yeah, how convenient that he's at the hospital and they can't find, you know, the most important document that's necessary for them to move forward. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he's at the hospital and he's having a very tough time and he's willing to drop it all so that he can do what's necessary um, continues to show his dedication to his job and his company.
0: And then we kind of flash over to Joe's side of the story. It says one month later and Joe's in the hospital, his wife's giving birth and his secretary calls him and says, hey, Andrew Beckett called in. He's like, I don't know who that is.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, you know, as a lawyer, you probably get to see so many names between, you know, the the opposing prosecutors or, you know, the clients. You're reading so much dialogue that, you know, it's really difficult for you to know everybody's names. But you can definitely see he remembers Beckett as soon as he sees his face so much so that he remarks how different he looks.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, because that actually comes up one week later. Early on, it felt kind of like the SpongeBob episodes It was like one month later, one week later, six weeks later. And uh, we do see Joe is in his office at first. He's talking to a guy who wants to frivolously sue the city for intentionally walking into a manhole. Right. And he's like, do I have a case? And Joe tells him, he's like, yeah, you got a case.
1: I'm I'm sure he's going to tell a lot of people they have a
0: case. (laughs) (laughs) And then obviously uh, Andy comes in and he's like, hello, counselor. And they're looking at each other and he says, judge, whatever the name is. And then, you know, Joe is like, ah, innocuous. I remember
1: yeah, you know, you just need to bring up, you know, the type of case or who you had. And I think it rings all the, all the bells necessary.
0: And then he says, you know, what happened to your face? And Andy says, I have AIDS. And that's when we see Joe kind of like go, oh, wow. And he like backs up as far away as he can up against the table and he doesn't want to touch him and he doesn't want to get close to him.
1: Yeah. There's that immediate stigma. And, you know, the, there's the two different, um, really the, the deliveries and, and, you know, how they receive, you know, the news. I mean, Beckett, is so confident and nonchalant about, you know, delivering that news to to Joe, you know, acts like, you know, he just found out there's a bomb in his office. You know, like you said, he's trying to find safety. He's looking around trying to see what does he touch so that I can not touch that ever again.
0: Exactly. And he's, yeah, he's looking all over the office and then Andy says, you know, I want to sue Wyant Wheeler, tell, uh, Wyant Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow and Brown. I, there we go. And, uh,
1: It's a mouthful, Wayne.
0: It is. And so he wants to sue them. And, you know, he tells Joe, you're the 10th lawyer I've come to see. He tells him the whole story. And then Joe says, I don't think you have a case.
1: Yeah. um, And uh, it was definitely tough to see that. But, you know, you can see that Joe really has an issue with it.
0: Yeah. And Andy says to me, he's like, I do have a case. If you don't want to take it for personal reasons, and Joe's like, thank you. I don't.
1: Yeah. You know, very, you know, brutally honest. Emphasis on brutally.
0: And then Joe immediately makes an appointment to see the doctor. He has to see him right away. He's telling the doctor, you know, oh, we just found, you know, we're we're finding out new things about this disease every day. How do you know? You're telling me it's fine, but then I get home and then two weeks later you call me and say, oh, sorry, you got it and you gave it to your kids.
1: Yeah, you know, he thinks maybe he could have, you know, contracted it through, you know, the air in his office. You know, he's wondering if he should have to burn his clothing. It's that type of crazy extreme, you know, the dramatics that we see all of these people go through because of they, they feel like they've come in close contact to, you know, the, the secret killer, the silent killer.
0: And then we see Joe back at home talking to his wife, and we discover that it's actually not AIDS. He's just a homophobe.
1: Right. And, and, you know, he has no idea that some of the people he's, you know, been in close contact with within his own, you know, extended family are gay. You know, he, he is shocked to find out that someone on his wife's side is gay.
0: Now, do you have any openly gay friends or family members? And I say openly just because I wouldn't want you to disclose somebody who might be in the closet. Yes, I do. And do you remember when you first found out and, and what your reaction was?
1: I do, yeah. You know, in my experience, I think that the people who are coming out of the closet have the most difficult time telling the people who are closest to them, while the people closest to them have probably known for the longest time. So I think it's it's an awkward conversation for that aspect. The fact that you almost have to like pretend like you don't know while they're letting you know something that you do know, and it's really just about acceptance. Um, I think for anybody that I've been able to have that conversation or opportunity with, um, it's just about listening, understanding. And, you know, trying to let them know that that's never defined our friendship or or our relationship and, you know, that I'm always going to be there for them no matter what.
0: Yeah. For me, the first person I ever found out was my uncle, who's seven years older than me. So he's really like an older brother. And I remember I actually was going down into his um, apartment to get a Madonna video, which that should have clued me off, but ding, it, ding, ding Yeah, it was a Madonna video that had some nudity in it. And uh, I was planning for some alone time and there was no one in the house. So I was going to grab the video. And when I was down there, I started seeing all these like posters and like calendars that were all guys with their shirts off and like naked guys and stuff like that. And I remember just thinking like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then grabbing the video and leaving
1: yeah, you know, it's, it's not anything that, you know, you need to think, you know, too much into, um, you know, it's their personal preference. And I think, you know, a lot of us that, you know, are on the accepting side, we don't define our friend or our family member by, you know, who they choose to be with um, or what makes them happy. You know, we see them as genuine, you know, human beings, um, friends, family members. Yeah, definitely.
0: And then so back to the movie, uh, Joe is walking out of this building. He sees Santa Claus. He gives him his card. Santa Claus goes, hey, the TV guy. He's like, yeah, the TV guy. And then uh, he walks into the library, and there there's a gentleman trying to get in to go use a private room instead of studying out in the public with everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way that he asks, you know, he's, he's tiptoeing around it. You know, he can see, you know, the group of people. He can hear the coughing. And it, it's, again, that, that word uncomfortability.
2: Should be more comfortable in a research room. <gasps> no. Would it make you more comfortable?
1: And, and it shows uh, a lot of understanding and confidence—not for, for lack of a better term, you know—but pride in who he is to be able to really kind of hold people you know, to their guns when they say stuff like that. And the fact that he's confident enough to kind of flip it back on them, make them feel more comfortable for feeling that way.
0: Right. And I liked at this point, Joe comes over and he's like, Hey uh, Beckett, what's going on? And when Andy looks at him, Joe just kind of like nods at him, like, yeah, say it. And Andy's like, Oh, counselor. And then they both look at the guy and he's like, whatever.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's a name drop without using the name, you know, but you know, just letting them know, Hey, something important, someone important, you know, is over here talking to me. Maybe you shouldn't be, you know, bringing your, you know, disgusting views over here.
0: And then Joe sits and starts talking with Andy. What do you have for evidence? Why did they notice this? And now we start to see them working together to prep this case.
1: Yeah, you can see he's, he's got an interest and he's really taking a, a real a deep look into how this could have happened. And almost right away, he comes up with a reason as to why he's willing to take it and why he has a case.
0: And then six weeks later, Joe serves Charles at a Sixers game in front of Dr. J.
1: Oh, as soon as Jay walked in, I was like, I know this person. Who is this? Is this an actor I know? I had to kind of put two and two together and, you know, remember that they were in Philadelphia. I thought it was real kind of nonchalant and, you know, it exuded confidence the way that Joe walked in there, handed that to him after introducing himself and then uh, made sure to introduce himself to uh, Dr. Jay.
0: Right. Dr. Jay's like, hey, the TV guy.
1: Yep. You know, definitely left a lasting impression. I mean, so much so that as after he left. You know, you've got the, you know, the, the guys, you know, the lawyers murmuring to each other and you've got Dr. J going, what's going on? What was that?
0: Right. Well, you mentioned that, and the lawyers are all talking to each other as they're walking down this corridor and they're like, we're going to dig up all the dirt we can on him. We're going to find out which one of those you know places he likes to frequent or whatever. And I think Bob was the gentleman that you had mentioned to me that we might recast. We chose not to, but you know, Bob was like, guys, why don't we just settle? And I mean, you know, the guy's got AIDS. He's sick. They're like, you didn't know he had AIDS. Did you, Bob? Jesus, did you, Bob?
1: Yeah, you know, you could see they're grilling him right away, you know, putting the pressure on him, Uh, you know, a slight interrogation. And Bob seemed to be, you know, slightly understanding uh, about, you know, what was happening and, you know, could really see how ugly it could get if they, you know, continued to proceed. But the other the other lawyers felt betrayed. They felt like they had been violated. And so they had to do whatever was necessary to show Andy that that was not going to be acceptable.
0: And Andy goes home for his parents' 40th anniversary party, and he's videotaping it. He mentions that he grew up right there in Lower Marion, Pennsylvania, which, as a sports fan, what do you think of Kobe Bryant, Lower Marion High School?
1: All I have to hear is Lower Marion, and I'm I'm wearing my Kobe Bryant shirt right now, Wayne. To be 100% honest, I'm wearing my Kobe shirt. Yeah, once you hear Lower Marion, if you're um, any surface-level basketball fan, you know that that's where Kobe Bean is from.
0: Andy asks everybody in his family, is it okay that I'm suing these guys? He's like, some stuff's going to, you know, come out potentially. And, you know, his dad and his mom are like, listen, we are incredibly proud of you. And there's nothing that would change that.
1: Yeah. Just seeing the support that he had from his brothers, his sister and his parents, it was, you know, incredibly fulfilling because I know that not everybody has, you know, that same support. So maybe in a way it was kind of like, I don't want to use the word misguided, but, you know, maybe it was... It's, it's not what happens all the time, unfortunately. You don't see that same type of support from friends and family. So it, that's what made it so special to see that he was doing the right thing and kind of opening up about it and making sure he got their, their consent. And they all were like, it's even silly that you're asking, Andy, we support you 100% no matter what you need to do.
0: And then we get seven months later, it's the courtroom, it's the opening uh, statements. And I think both of them made great opening statements, very short and concise and non argumentative. They just kind of stated their cases
1: yeah i i'm definitely seeing what you mean about spongebob and the time jumps but uh yeah definitely some some great opening statements and you know once i saw who uh, the lawyers used as you know their attorney you know their prosecutor there was one movie that came to my mind do you want to guess what that movie is wayne Brothers. you got it i was like how in the world did someone so serious twenty 20 so, something years later end up becoming this hilarious mom on Step Brothers? but uh yeah, you know, that's what I get, you know, for watching the movie for the first time and just seeing where people are coming from, you know, their roots.
0: And then we get the first witness that they call to the stand and Denzel's grilling the gentleman because the gentleman says that Andy did a job that was satisfactory.
2: Do you agree that a bologna sandwich is a satisfactory meal? Whereas uh, caviar and champagne, roast duck and baked Alaska. That might be considered a delightful meal. We object. These gastronomical comments are irrelevant to these proceedings, Your Honor. No, they are not irrelevant. Your Honor, five months ago, this witness characterized Andrew Beckett as caviar. Now he's calling him a bologna sandwich. I think that the jury is entitled to know what powerful force has caused him to change his mind.
1: Yeah, you know, how'd you go from caviar to a bologna sandwich in a matter of six months without there being some type of influence and as he says the word influence he slowly glances over to the side with the lawyers that ended up firing andy so yeah you can definitely see it's a pointed statement he thought that he was going into that questioning having the support of his witness and now once he gets that first statement out of the witness where he says he was merely satisfied and he found it to be adequate he knew that he had an uphill battle and i think even in that moment after he dug for deeper clarification we got uh, the judge uh, saying, he answered your question, sit down. It started to make me wonder if the judge was kind of even, you know, going to be a hurdle for Joe and for Andy.
0: I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. He says, you know, he didn't change his mind. He amplified his answer. And I thought the same thing, but then throughout the trial and how the judge handles the objections, I think that he was actually pretty fair.
1: I I would agree. Yeah. My first impression was, oh no, this could be kind of scary but then beyond that, you definitely see he finds himself more along, you know, the straight and narrow right along the middle where he needs to be as a judge. But, yeah, it was a bit of a scary first impression where we're like, oh, no, is, is, is he going to be facing the Zebras as well and not just the other team?
0: And the thing I don't understand, so they show in this scene outside the courtroom, there's a bunch of people screaming at each other, protesting, right? You got one side, they're separated by barriers and police. And I've never understood, like, if you want to protest something, you walk down there, you get a sign, you're marching in a circle, that's all good. But why do you want to yell at people on the other side? Like, just let them do their protest, like leave each other alone.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're never thinking that way. You know, I think that once they start getting a sign and they start believing, Kind of so passionately about something and they have the other side there in front of them it becomes almost like a childlike mentality where it's you know whoever's loudest wins
0: and then we see joe is in the bar he's talking to some of his lawyer friends and one of the ones is like hey joe you're not getting a little light in your loafers are you and then he starts saying yeah i am remember me and you we like to play uh, captain first mate and then he's like listen let me make it clear because these people make me sick but a law has been broken you remember the law and then of course we get the bartender chiming in and like you know these D frutis make me sick too
1: Yeah, you know, it's everybody, you know, you're surrounded by people that have this disgusting stigma because they aren't willing to, you know, have any understanding and take any time to hear anybody out. So it's just, they immediately are just very disrespectful and, you know, just very uncouth about it. So you you hear the things they're saying and the way they look at at other people about it. And, you know, we kind of go through a roller coaster here with Joe because you see him go from severe homophobe to helping out Andy. So then there are some other moments where you question where the guy is.
0: On day two, we get the woman who had AIDS that I believe Kenton used to work with. She testifies. And then Mary Steenburgen, the the um, prosecutor, she goes up and she says, well, you didn't get AIDS through your fault. You got through a blood transfusion. It wasn't because of your behavior, correct? And the lady's like, yeah, that's true. And to me, I felt like this actually hurts her case because it's kind of like saying, oh, no, that we didn't fire Andy because he had AIDS. We fired him because of the way he got it.
1: Yeah, totally caught him, Uh, you know, because I thought you were finding him because of his, you know, the the way his his work ethic had gone down, that you saw that he wasn't as promising. So they definitely stepped in the gum a few times as far as why they were going at Andy. And I think Joe definitely did a a good job to capitalize on those slip ups.
0: And then we see the secretary who we Saw in the very beginning with Andy, she had passed her exam and Andy was proud of her. And she talked about how, you know, Mr. Wheeler's secretary said that Mr. Wheeler said something about her earrings. And I'm like, isn't that hearsay? Like, I would object to that. But it's a film. You know, movies got a movie.
1: Yeah, you got to suspend, uh, you know, a little bit of disbelief. And I mean, I don't think her testimony ended up doing too, too much, um, especially, you know, in the long run. But it did show that there was, you know, some some discrimination um, being shown. And I think, you know, we get some further examples of that, but at least in her, you know, situation, you know, her earrings were commented saying that they, that they were a little too ethnic and that, you know, Wheeler would like it if she dressed a little bit more American.
0: Right, exactly. And, and again, I understand that, that they're trying to paint this picture of discrimination. But at the same time, I felt like, how can you use the testimony saying, hey, I talked to this person and this person said that this person said that's hearsay.
1: Yeah, Wayne had his lawyer hat on while he was watching this.
0: (laughs) I love lawyer movies. We talked about this, actually. I'm a big John Grisham fan, so.
1: Oh, I love the guy.
0: So now we see Joe. This is a big scene. Joe goes in. He's buying some Pampers at, like, the CVS or whatever, and he gets hit on by this young guy, like, young college guy. At first, he thinks they're just, like, chatting up about football, and he's like, yeah, here's my card. When you graduate, you know, give me a call. And then the guy's like, hey, I kind of want to go on a date with you, and Joe gets pissed off, and he's like, that's exactly why people hate you or whatever.
1: Yeah, this is what I kind of alluded to when I said it's, you know, Joe takes us on a bit of a roller coaster in terms of his acceptance and his understanding, because, you know, he goes from, you know, being warm with Joe to to not. And then, you know, getting the support of, you know, the gay community, which I think he didn't quite know or understand at the time. And so he didn't know how to receive it. And, you know, this gentleman you know that he sees in the store is going to the same college that Andy went to Penn, you know, a very, you know, renowned college around the area a good looking athlete and you know the way joe sees it you know this is just another brother you know just somebody to kind of talk sports about um you know maybe talk future careers but you know i think joe shows us how everybody else around the movie you know looked and treated people like that in that generation um which is why it was so unfortunate you know he sees that as soon as he gets hit on it's almost night and day you know joe looks at him and is disgusted Grabs him by the you know the jacket and ends up making a scene and they end up you know really kind of being you know disgusting to each other you know on, on his way out of the store but you know yeah there's definitely seeing the parallels between you know Joe being softer towards you know you know the gay community and you know to Andy and then how he wasn't
0: yeah and it brought up the question that I had which is kind of going back to our lives have you ever been asked out by a guy or hit on by a guy.
1: Uh, I can't say that I have you know I've, I've been in kind of chat rooms you know spaces like that where you know you'll kind of chat with a, a large group of people and get to know people you post a picture to introduce yourself and you know you you know I've gotten comments you know that you know some have found me attractive and you know you, you take it on the chin you you take it as a a compliment, and, uh, you know, you have to know that, you know, every gay person is not trying to have sex with you, and, you know, every lesbian is not trying to have sex, you know, with another female. It's so much, you know, their orientation is so much more, you know, than who they want to lay with. So, um, you know, it it wasn't in person, um, but it wasn't anything that, you know, disgusted me.
0: So I've had it happen in person probably four or five times, and I tell people, so people know I'm a heavy guy, but in my early to mid-20s, I was actually – pretty ripped i was in really good shape and uh, i used to go out places and i would get hit on by guys more than i did by girls and i I always took it as a compliment i was always like hey somebody finds me attractive you know that's cool i do remember this one instance i sat down at a bar and this girl the very beautiful woman actually sat down next to me which was weird right you know and uh i'm just drinking and, and i look over her and she's just staring at me so i was like hey what's up and she was, hey, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, uh, there's been some people kind of checking you out, you know, since you came in. And uh, she was like, are you single? And I was like, yeah, I am. Because I'm thinking she's hitting on me. She was, well, my friend uh, really thinks that you're hot and, and, and wants to get to know you. And I said, oh.
1: Wayne thought, Wayne thought he was about to score with two women. I was
0: like, awesome. That sounds great. You know, and she was, yeah. She was, uh, he's sitting right over there. She was, are you gay? And I said, I'm not, unfortunately. So I apologize to your friend, but. Uh, I appreciate the compliment. I'm glad that somebody said I was hot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always have to be, you know, as respectful and complimentary about it, you know, and just have an understanding, you know, hey, I appreciate it. Take it on the chin and you know, say, you know, just let them know I appreciate it.
0: And then we get day three of the trial. We get uh, Miss O'Hara, the secretary, who was talking about how Andy was yelling and he was freaking out because they couldn't find the file. And then they found it at the last second conveniently.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that they kind of had her in such hysterics describing something that we never got a chance to see because it almost, you know, to me, made it seem like she was fabricating it because, you know, we never saw him in, in any type of hysterics at all. And the one, you know, conversation we have him having about this file is he's on the phone and he's acting pretty calm about it
0: and then jamie takes the stand and this is where joe kind of this is after he's been hit on joe starts asking him are you gay starts using all like the slurs about being gay and uh they're like why are you attacking your own witness you know and he goes on this whole speech which was a great speech which ends with him saying we don't live in this courtroom though
2: your honor everybody in this courtroom just thinking about Sexual orientation, you know, sexual preference, whatever you want to call it. Who does what to whom and how they do it. I mean they're looking at Andrew Beckett. They're thinking about it. They're looking at Mr. Wheeler, Miss Conine, even you, Your Honor. They're wondering about it. <laughs> Trust me, I know that they are looking at me and thinking about it. So let's just get it on the open. Let's 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 get it out of the closet. Because this case is not just about AIDS, is it? So let's talk about what this case is really all about. The general public's hatred, our loathing, our fear of homosexuals. And how that climate of hatred and fear translated into the firing of this particular homosexual. My client, Andrew Beckett. Please have a seat, Mr. Miller. Good. In this courtroom, Mr. Miller, justice is blind to matters of race, creed, color, religion, and sexual orientation. With all due respect, Your Honor, we don't live in this courtroom, though, do we?
1: Yeah, I thought that was one of the more powerful things I've heard in any movie.
0: And then Kenton takes the stand and he mentions, We had one guy like that. And that's where the judge is like, No, he started to answer. I'm going to let him finish what he's trying to say here.
1: Right. What do you mean like that? I mean, you know, you definitely see Joe want him to elaborate and kind of really put, you know, Ken in a corner, you know, really paint himself to be the type of person he genuinely is.
0: And I liked how he's like, oh, and so you dipped his head in this toilet that you guys had used, and I'm sure that taught him a lesson, just like firing Andrew Beckett taught him a lesson.
1: Right. Yeah, really kind of used his entire rationale against him. Um, And he was able to kind of slowly pick apart at the people that You know, the defense was presenting.
0: And then we see uh, Andy's doing a treatment. He doesn't want to do treatment that day. So Miguel is like, no, you're going to do the treatment. And Andy realizes that Miguel's worried. And he sarcastically says something like, oh, I guess I'll just start planning my funeral or whatever then. And Miguel's like, well, maybe you should think about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that was tough.
0: And Andy says, nope, I think we should have a party. And so they have like a costume party, which Joe shows up as a lawsuit, like a bunch of papers stapled to his suit. (laughs)
1: yeah that was funny and and i was wondering you know there's a lot of what seemed to be like navy costumes there i was wondering if that was the theme you know because you, you saw you know the the lawsuit but outside of that there was a, a pretty large contingent of what seemed to be the navy costumes
0: yeah i think that, that just the officer thing might be kind of attractive for a fit guy to be in an officer uniform uh, whether it's police navy uh whatnot i think uh, i mean we saw the mona lisa was there i can't remember what um Joe's wife dressed up as, but she was something. Right. And then we see afterwards, Andy says to Joe, he says, well, congratulations, counselor. I believe you survived your very first gay party.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we don't see Joe go to the doctor after this. So I think there's more understanding and acceptance, you know, by this point in the film.
0: And then we see Joe's trying to go over the questions he's going to be asking Andy the next day in court. And Andy just wants to talk about this opera that's on. And this scene to me, like really really got to me like it was a really powerful scene
1: it was you know between the angles and the close-ups the sound and really just what he was getting at it was powerful my mom you know even though she you know knew um you know the the levity of, of the moment she was just letting me know how much she hated opera so she's sitting there like listening to it get louder and louder and hearing you know andy describe other woman's going through her own roller coaster of emotions within the tune. And she's like, Oh, I can't stand it. It's like Lebowski listening to the Eagles. My mom listening to opera, but yeah, it was so powerful to see Andy kind of just hold on to, was that like a, like uh, an oxygen kind of drip thing. Uh, was it uh pumping something into his body? But he's, he's almost like using that as a stand and he's really feeling the moment.
0: Yeah. I think it was just like his, his medical treatment is all it was. And then the next day he takes the stand, uh, you know, he's, cr- he's, examined by Joe he talks about how he was wildly impressed with Charles and then Charles told uh, a homophobic joke when they were out and he's like well after he said that I was actually glad that I didn't come out to him because I was going to
1: yeah you know it definitely starts you know with Joe asking Andy you know how he got to work under Charles and you know you you hear really you know for the first time in the entire film some glowing remarks said by anybody um, about Charles and it talks about how he really wanted to shape his career and his his law you know, self to be a lot like Charles. And he respected who he was and what he did and how he did it and kind of lost a lot of that respect once he found out, you know, how unaccepting he was of, of people outside of his own likeness.
0: And then when Charles lawyer cross examines Andy, she starts asking him about going to this movie theater and having sex and he could have gotten Miguel sick. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, what does this have to do with him being fired? But I guess she's trying to smear his character to the jury.
1: Yeah, I think it's really just trying to show irresponsibility on Andy's part and show that, you know, he's someone who can be irresponsible and not care about certain things or certain people.
0: And, you know, she says, oh, so we can't see that legion on your face. And so the was it Denzel wants him to show his chest so that they can see a legion that's similarly sized. And, uh, at first she objects, she's like, Oh no objection, your honor. And he's like, no, I'll allow it. You know, they got to be able to see what Kenton saw
1: hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, brings up that little mirror and you see, you know, Andy, he's like, Oh no, I had many, I was covering them up and there's not any in this space. And so you kind of hear the courtroom go silent. And as a first time viewer, you're like, Oh no, is this where he loses the case? And then that's where, you know, Joe does the powerful thing and says, Hey, you know, you got these marks all over your body, right? You know, if if it pleases the court, I'd like for you to take your shirt off and show us, you know, some more of these, show us what it looks like. And once he does and you see, you know, the the angles, um, you know, the, the way that they show his body and the jury's reaction and the people in the, I don't want to say audience, but you know, the people that um, are in the courtroom as well, you can see their reaction and hear their reaction. So it was definitely
0: jarring. And then we see our guy Bob take the stand and he says, you know, I suspected that Andy had AIDS. Uh, I never mentioned it to any of the partners. I never even mentioned it to Andy and I feel like now I won't get the chance. So it seems like, you know, he didn't have that bias towards Andy. Like he feels bad about how it all went down.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned, I think of all the people that we, we got to know that worked with Andy, this is one that had a bit more understanding and sensibility and he didn't feel... As disgusting, you know, he definitely didn't feel as grouped in or lumped in to the other um, top dog lawyers there. And you could sense he felt pressure by his co workers, but that he felt incredibly bad about it. You know, you could see just his, you know, you could see his heart right there on the line while he was sitting there in the courtroom saying, you know, he'll, he'll regret not mentioning what he could have to Andy when the time was right.
0: We see the jury deliberating because Andy collapses, the jury deliberates, and actually the head jury, that looks like the foreman of the jury, the whole time that they were doing cross-examination, it seemed like he was agreeing with all the homophobia, but he's actually the one that says to them, he's like, I don't understand it, like, why would you give this case to him if he's actually lackluster? You know, he goes, "If if I'm a pilot, I'm giving it to my best pilot.
1: Uh, yeah, it was it was again one of the biggest turnarounds. I think they used Joe and they used this, you know, kind of head juror as our biggest examples of showing how they can be changed through the entire case and how their thinking was changed because I'll agree with you. He seemed to be nodding when I didn't want him to be nodding and agreeing when I did not want him to be agreeing. But when we got just the close up of those eleven jurors, he seemed to be really kind of holding his own and saying you know explain this to me like i'm a four-year-old he used joe's line in there which was probably the only the only time we had any humor in the movie was right there but beyond that um you know he's really being serious about i don't understand the idea i don't understand the thinking of this law firm to put their you know their top prospect in there as a test you don't test somebody like that
0: exactly yeah and they Deliberate, I think only one person votes against Andy, and they agree to award him $143,000 in back pay, $100,000 in actual damages, and $4.8 million in punitive damages. Yeah, that last number was the most important number for sure. And uh, Mary Steenburgen says to Joe, she says, well, I'll see you at the appeal.
1: Yeah, and you know, you, you can see at one point, she says, I hate this case. You know, She's having to kind of fight so hard for something that is so... I think hotly contested, you know, you mentioned the protesters, you know, and the environment outside, you know, the hot environment that's inside the courtroom. I mean, I'm sure she's going home and hearing about it. You know, if if Joe's hearing about it at the stores, you know, she's hearing about it from both ends. So she had a difficult time with the case. Um, But, you know, because there's, you know, money being put in her pocket, she's going to continue to do what's necessary. And, you know, in that law process, which we all know is the appeal.
0: And then Joe goes to the hospital, he sees Andy, and we have this really touching moment where like, he touches Andy's face, and he takes his mask off and puts it back on for him. And you can see that all that fear from the beginning of the movie is completely gone.
1: Right, yeah, this, was, this entire scene here, uh, it broke me, man. I, I definitely broke down here, seeing everybody kind of say goodbye to Andy and uh, kind of give their hugs. And uh, his younger brother really, really having a tough time with it, collapsing on him, um, having him pulled off from his mom. Uh, I think that that stuck with me. I mean, even right now, I can kind of feel myself getting choked up, you know, just remembering that scene and how everybody had, you know, their own heartfelt goodbye. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, just seeing Joe kind of go complete 180 from someone who was disgusted to have, you know, Andy in his office at first. And ran to the doctor thinking that through the air he could have gotten AIDS and affect his daughter long term to now touching the gentleman and and fixing him and and seeing him on his way out, knowing that he helped him, you know, fight for, you know, his freedom and, and fight for a lot of people.
0: For sure. And then Andy tells Miguel that he's ready. Joe gets a call that night that, you know, it's Miguel Andy died. And then the next day or several days later, whenever it is, they don't actually give us a time jump frame here. But uh, we find that this kind of wake when they're playing home videos of Andy. And that's kind of like the videos, like zooming in on the home videos. And then we kind of get the credits.
1: Yeah. And that song um, that played during the whole, you know the home video, that got me as well. So it was just the way that movie ended, um, you know, so, you know, it really came full circle. Um, it was gratifying kind of see how far, you know, they had come. You know, I'm glad I watched it, you know, extremely tough subject matter, Wayne. I don't know how we got to the point where we, we fell on this movie. I think it's because I mentioned, you know, we hadn't done a Hanks movie. We hadn't done a Denzel movie. And I was kind of, I think it's because you were proposing like a seventh Tom Cruise movie. But but we fell upon this movie. And, you know, I'm I'm incredibly grateful to say that I've watched it. Um, I'm right there with you to say that I, I don't find myself watching it again because of the subject matter and how tough it was. But it was good to kind of see these two put on such powerful performances for the early 90s i mean it's really kicked off a lot for both of them i mean we have seen them both have such legendary careers
0: for sure and yeah i think that's how it came about was we were trying to figure out what to do next you mentioned hanks and and denzel and i said well let's hit both with one movie
1: <laughs> you did yeah you were, you were like hey man birds with stones um and you presented this one to me one that i hadn't seen and i was a little weary coming into it odd title um it didn't really pull me in but again you know it was a powerful movie
0: for sure. And again, it's kind of a heavy episode. You know, we're, we're kind of reviewing this film. It's a lot of heavy content to cover. Um, so not a lot of laughs in the review. Although next episode, we are going to be recasting this film. And I think we're going to be a little bit more playful with the actual recasting. We'll be back to, to bickering and criticism. So you guys can enjoy that a little bit more.
1: 100%. Yeah, I think the recast will definitely um, present more lightheartedness. And, uh, you know, I don't want to forget to mention... Wayne is very excited to uh, introduce um, our new iteration of the recast uh, where we will each be presenting a new director for the 2022 version of Philadelphia so I think that's a a very fun wrinkle that we're both looking forward to explaining and defending
0: Absolutely, I think that it adds a whole new dynamic to what we do and I don't want to spoil things, I don't think it totally affected this film. I think we both kind of wanted to keep the same spirit because of how serious it was. Although I will tell you, tune into the next episode when I tell you what I almost did for a director. Um but I decided not to.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely gonna be fun to have that extra layer of of fun and you know a director can do so much for a movie, um whether it be positive or negative, and I think they bring a lot of background. So we're very excited to add that layer to our recast and for you all to hear You know what we're going to do with this next recast and moving forward
0: for sure thank you everybody for listening hopefully you enjoyed the episode let us know if you did or didn't follow us on social media hit us up on social media and look forward to the recasting episode where you can vote on whose cast you like better mine or jesse regardless of who we vote for you will get a special shout out if you follow the instructions
1: absolutely quote and retweet baby there's still time to get in on the beverly hills cop be